Greetings, readers. This is the Recap Book Chat. We are thrilled that you're with us because reading illuminates your life like a star. As J.R.R. Tolkien said, little by little, one travels far. And welcome to the Recap Book Chat. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are diving in to a classic called East of Eden. By John Steinbeck, who also wrote uh, The Grapes of Wrath. Yes, and he, it was, this was published in 1952. And the interesting thing was, so you said Grapes of Wrath, Of Mice and Men. Um, the, I think he's had quite a few that were very well received, right? And this but one wasn't. This one wasn't. And the interesting thing is that he considered East of Eden his masterpiece. This was the one that he said, uh, it is what I have been practicing to write all my life, is what East of Eden is for him. And I just found that interesting that it wasn't well received, but this is the one that he would say is his. The I think he, he poured his heart and soul. He poured his heart and soul in it, into it, and it was personal because he was part of it. Yes. A minor character, but it's his family intersects. So when, um, and it's pretty cool if you're, you know, if you, we've always, uh, we're in the 20, 2022, and for us to go all the way back to when this was actually the setting is 1900. Isn't that cool? It actually start. it starts in the 18, 1860, remember? Because it starts yeah. with the Civil War. It, it does. It, so he's dead. Yeah, it goes, yeah. oh, it spans, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, that's right. That's so right. we cover from 1860 to the 1900s but i don't know what i because i haven't finished it yet so we're i'm halfway so that's why we decided we're gonna do because it's there's a lot to cover and so we're gonna do half of it and and this is a an allegory this is a biblical allegory for the cain and abel story which is and interesting it, and as you said it's it's even duplicated yes and so it, we start with cyrus cyrus uh is no actually we start with with hamilton don't we and it kind of jumps so you're going from connecticut to california salinas there's, there's two valley main yeah. settings there and my favorite character is uh samuel hamilton and that's where it starts and he's from uh he's a immigrant from northern ireland and he uh is handsome and it, it says he has a rich deep voice kind of makes me think of james earl jones voice and he's a big man and he's real clever with his hands he's innovative but he does not have a talent for making money mm-hmm. so he and he's even come up with all these inventions he's a blacksmith a carpenter a wood carver he has had good ideas but he doesn't hasn't made any money from those good ideas but one thing he is good at is making children with yes. his wife and do you did you notice okay so john steinbeck referred to did you call her lisa or liza i said lisa in my head okay uh because it could go either way it but could. it it said that she was as humorless as a chicken and that just struck <laughs> me as funny to me you know and she was suspicious of fun. 
And I thought, hmm. And she thought idleness was a sin. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, uh, but I, I'm sure she didn't have a lot of idleness with nine kids. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It'd be even possible. So. And so one of those kids that they have, and then I, I, I wrote them all down because I thought, wow, they were very, and I was afraid, you know, beginnings are hard mm-hmm. uh, of a book. So you need to get to know your characters and stuff. And um, the land in the Salinas Valley uh, is wonderful and everything, but not Samuel's land. He has no water. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard. But one of his kids is Olive, who has John Steinbeck for a son. So mm-hmm. that's how you come across that. But I, you don't find that out until a while. But and, and that's not a spoiler alert or anything. No. Which is, it's, it's interesting because Samuel's not a main character. He, he's a supporting character in the story. But it, it's the story's not necessarily revolving around him. Um, so it's interesting that... So this is John, like that would be his great grandfather, John Steinbeck's great grandfather that he's writing about in his family. And, but it's interesting because they're not, that's not the main character. So wouldn't it, wouldn't it be his grandfather? Um, grandfather? Yeah. Yeah. Because Olive's his mom. Okay. So yeah. Grandfather. And this, so, so he probably knew, knew him, you know? Yeah. You know, so and you uh, could tell he like the way he talks about the valley because he grew up in the Salinas Valley, so you can tell he knows what he's talking about when he's writing about it. And and what do you think of his writing? So like, because I've read John Steinbeck before, but it's been years. It's different. What what was your uh, going into this? What was your perception? It's it's rich. It's rich writing, but it's also heavy. Mm-hmm. It's real heavy because, but I like the way he words things. He words things different, differently, you know, and I, I was trying to write all of them down and I'm like, oh my goodness. It was like, uh, like he says, a man afraid is a dangerous animal. Mm, Yes. I mean, and that's so true. Yes. And then listen, this one's so cool. Everyone is normal to himself. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Is that true? Yes. Now, and I think I talked to you about the, because it's pretty close to the beginning of the book, not very far in, that he has the uh, monsters are born in this world. Well, that was one line that everybody had a lot of problem with, because he talks about these monsters, and uh, they didn't like that. Mm-hmm. And other things they didn't like, but that was one thing. I, I think, um, I, and, I had, and, and he's talking about a malformed soul, basically. Yeah. Because in the story of Cain and Abel and Adam and Eve and all those, you've got to have, and there's one part, if you believe in good, you have to believe in evil. Mm-hmm. I didn't, and, you know, and that's like Harry theme. Potter. Yeah. yeah. Good versus evil is a big theme in this book. Huge. And, and the person that he was referring to as the monster, uh, like is extremely evil. And I think, I think we need to be able to give people some literary license to sometimes to make your point, you need to exaggerate something a little bit, you know? Well, and I think we all struggle with monsters, but in the book, Kathy doesn't struggle. She embraces the monsters. So if you embrace the monster, you become the monster. Ooh, that's true. That's very true. uh, I, I, this book was recommended to me by a friend that was like in, uh, fifth or sixth grade. Uh, yeah. Cheryl, and Cheryl and uh, 
it, she said, have you read that book? You know, she posted it and I said, she said it was a great book. And so I just made a mental note of that to, uh, but uh, I'm, it's a hard read for me. I should have, I should ask her, well, I'm a third, I'm in third grade level. That's my level. So it's pretty hard. I I agree. Like it's, he, his writing is not, it doesn't make you feel warm and fuzzy. It doesn't leave you feeling like, ah, this is great. That's not a fairy tale. It's very honest and raw and authentic but it makes you think like it's very yes. intriguing. So he's a very gifted writer and you could tell he works super hard at it. Um, and I, I'm very interested in his style of writing. It's just kind of very brutally honest, but, but he also doesn't lay everything out for you either. Like it's funny because the, the title of the book is East of Eden. And, and I think you're the one that said, uh, I wasn't even thinking about it being an allegory and you're the one that said that. And I'm like, Oh yeah. So there's a lot of stuff he's, he doesn't spell out for you, but when you look back, it, it makes sense. It connects a lot of dots. But I, I liked him right off the bat. Cause like on page five, he said, uh, I have spoken of the rich years when rainfall was plentiful, but there were dry years also. And they were uh, a terror to the Valley. The water came in a 30 year cycle so i thought and i made a side note before global warming was a thing people just realized that everything came in cycles but it's funny to connect with that on the next page i i highlighted and it never failed that during the dry years the people forgot about the rich years and during the wet years they lost all memory of the dry years (laughs) well that's true too so i think that's that's part of it we forget we forget so and, it, and he talked about, um, when he was talking about his kids, uh, Samuel's kids, one of them, I thought this was true as a teacher, there are kids that are like this. It says, helplessness was his best protection from work. And that was Samuel's for, uh, fourth son, Joseph. Mm-hmm. And, and it said he really wasn't helpless, but he used that. Mm-hmm. And, and now they're calling that learned helplessness. Because kids do what works. Yeah. And that was, he was the youngest boy, so he was able to get away with that. Yeah. And uh, in, the, the, in the course of events, then after you meet Samuel and his crew, then you, you read that, and it's a separate story. And then you go all the way to Connecticut, and you, uh, you learn about Cyrus uh, Trask, who was a soldier in the Civil War who uh, had a leg amputated. Mm-hmm. In 1862. And then his story, you want to tell about Adam being born? So it's interesting about Adam because Adam is, so Adam has, a so he takes, his character is symbolic of Abel at the beginning of the story. And then, then through the story, he becomes, his character is actually symbolic of Adam. So at the beginning of his story, he is Abel, the quote unquote good son, you know, who's mm-hmm. didn't do any, But anyway, his. For his, a while, he's the only son, though. Yes. And his mom committed suicide. So he's left without a mom at a very young age. His dad remarries uh, for not out of love, but for necessity. necessity. Yeah. And has a, a son another son through this lady 
named Charles. And the lady wasn't named Charles. The, the, <laughs> the boy was. <laughs> yes. The son was named Charles. Yeah. And, Whoa, but the father and loves Adam. Yeah. And there, that's where the problem's at. Charles wants Adam or wants Cyrus's love. And anyway, it's, it is extremely rough childhood. I mean, oh my it, goodness. He's training it, them for the military, puts, makes them carry packs and goes up and down. I mean, he just wants them to be in the military. He, it acted like for a while, both of them want, but then Charles is just so violent. Oh, Charles is extremely violent. He's very, he, he has a lot of evil that he does not. What did you say about Kathy? You said she embraced the monster and, and Charles embraces the monster too. Yeah. And then he goes, you know, he, he nearly beats Adam up, but yet later on they're writing letters back and forth. And he sees when Adam was at home, he, he remembers that as a happy time. Well, it wasn't for Adam. And that's, what's interesting too. And I think John is a great writer for bringing that out. It's he, he's really like showing this coexistence of like all these different things like love and jealousy, hatred, like personal responsibility and, and, of these two brothers at the beginning he's he's because it's a very complex relationship but most relationships are you know like so messy yeah and it's interesting how he pulls that it's different when you're reading it because you see both sides um but in real life you see your side you know so Mm -hmm. it's very interesting how that plays out and like you said charles he he doesn't see this things the same as adam does and his childhood was different than adam's and it's just interesting. Well, you know, and it's funny that you can, uh, if it's a love that's not a biblical love, it can switch to hate really easily. My, my, our, the Bible recap this morning's story was about uh, Absalom's sister Tamar and Amnon. And he, when he raped her, the love with which he loved her was not as strong as the hate that he hated her and he threw her out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm thinking, I thought he loved her, but no, he didn't. And that's what Charles, he, he, he really does want to love the dad. He wants the dad's love. Mm-hmm. But I, I mean, so he thinks if he can get rid of Adam, I guess he, he can have the love. But yes, he never but, really killed him. He just beat the tar out of him. But the interesting thing is it's not like, it, it's not that Cyrus was loving towards Adam. He treated them both very harshly. Mm-hmm. but there's little things where like when Adam would give a gift to his dad, his dad would keep it, treasure it, or treasure, treasure it. it. But still they were extremely rough on both of them. So it's interesting because Adam did not feel loved, you know, but he didn't seek love from him. You know, he yeah. talked about, he respected his father. He respected him and tried to stay away from him. <laughs> yeah. I, I can yeah. agree with that. And then he does get into, he goes into the military and, I, I thought that was, so he was, uh, you know, cause he, as he was a soldier and there, he's in the West and the Calvary shooting at Indians, he would purposely miss, yes, purposely miss them all. But then you and I had mentioned that we talked about, cause when his time was up, he reenlisted and I'm like, what, <laughs> what are because, you reenlisting for? Because he was so used to being told what to do. He didn't know what to do, you know? Yeah he kind of felt like he didn't have anywhere to go. And then when he did get out the second time, he became a hobo. That was interesting. 
I know, and I there's a word for that that John Steinbeck used, bindle stiff. Yes. Which I'd never heard of bindle stiff, but it is fun to say, bindle stiff. And uh, he was shaving with glass to shave, and I mean, it was pretty interesting. But, uh, you know, at that time, there were probably a lot of them. You know, you didn't know what to do when you got out of the military, so, you know. But yeah. the, And then Charles is begging him to come home. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't feel safe at home. Yep. I think until he actually gets back there as a grown man and then he realizes that Charles can't beat him up anymore. And I think then he then it's kind of like he feels like he can say things that in the past he would be afraid to say. True. So yeah. I think that it was really good for him to go back home and face Charles again and 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 have the courage to leave again, too, because he really wanted to go west he wanted to go to california and we won't go get big into kathy's story you'll have to read that but it's pretty insane what happens how she got to the point where she's beat up on their doorstep mm-hmm. and adam falls in love with her she's completely evil but uses adam basically and uh, they end up in california selena and that's yeah. where he meets uh samuel hamilton Mm-hmm. And uh, and and it's it's strange to me that for some reason, yeah, she told Adam, "I don't want to go west. I don't want to do that." And he he's just kind of like rose-colored glasses, and it's going to be fine. It's going to be great. And so they go anyway. And and he doesn't realize she doesn't want to have kids. He doesn't realize anything. So. It's interesting because uh, I agree, Samuel's my favorite character too. And one of the cool things about him is he's very perceptive. He's good at reading people. He's good at reading the land. He's, he's who they call when they were trying to find water. He can, he, dig, he can dig wells and stuff like that. And Adam is not perceptive at all. So Total opposites. Yes. So it's very, uh, it's very interesting um, and another one of my favorite characters is Lee, a Chinese guy. And he says why Samuel is so um, intuitive is that he sees, he perceives things as they are, not what he thinks they are. And he said, most people just see what they, uh, what, I think I wrote that down. He saw what was there, not like most people who saw what they wanted to see. Yes. And that's, and that's what that's gets Adam Samuel's... in trouble. Yeah. Adam had this fake life in his head, what he wanted, what he thought he had, what he thought Kathy was. So... Boy, was he off. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, man. And I think yeah. we all do that, though. A lot. It's easier to be in denial and to kind of just have our head in the sand or whatever and just go along thinking our own narrative instead of like, okay, what, what's really going on? Because usually what's really going on is uglier than what we want it to be. That's true. So instead, but instead of being vulnerable and authentic and facing what it is, we like to just kind of create our own story and live in that, that bubble. So I, I love that Samuel doesn't do that. And I feel like, I feel like the thing about living in your bubble is it's actually kind of selfish because like Samuel is able to help a lot of people because he doesn't live in his bubble. He sees what's going on and it, it's a burden to him at times. 
Yes, like, it is. It's very draining for him at times. And so I think that was that was interesting for me to see that. I'm like, you know, that's that's really a good quality to have, to be able to see things for what they are, even though it is gonna drain you. And but that's I I feel like that's the most or a good way to be helpful for others too. Well, did you know that they describe uh, John Steinbeck said Samuel Hamilton eats stories like grapes? And I said, oh, there's my favorite character. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> because he's well read and he's also adorable because he named his horse Doxology. Yeah. And this is an ugly horse. He's stubborn. He doesn't do it. And he said, at least we can give him a cool name. <laughs> and I thought, wow, how, I mean, so he can, and he's living in a place where it says even a sagebrush struggled to exist. <laughs> That's where Samuel's at. You know, I'm like, whoa. And, and at one time they're talking about, and I did not know this. I can't remember if it was Lee talking or if it was Samuel, but they were in town and it might've just been the narrator talking, but it, they said that streets used to be named for the place they were aimed at. So you were, if you were aimed at the market, you were called Market Street. If you were named at Castroville, it was Castroville Street. And he said he doesn't know why they changed that. And I said, yeah, why did they change that? That was a good idea. Yeah. Did you catch that? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't catch that. But that is a good idea. I mean, that'd make things easier to find. <laughs> well, I mean, really, because it says it, it would to me, it would be interesting to know why. What, what happened? Why did they change it? You know? But I, I, I'm, I'm amazed that he kept all this straight. But, I, but then when I found out he was one of the characters, basically a, a very minor character, but I'm thinking these are his aunts and uncles. So yes. he didn't really make any of that up. No. And so all he might have made up is the part about Adam Trask and that part, you know. Yes, I think that was the, but it's, so for one of his, I guess one of his uncles, I, this was a quote that is funny. Um, because uh, it was talking about all, like Samuel's sons, and one of them's wild, and one of them's well behaved, and all this. And it says it is possible that his virtue lived on lack of energy. Yeah, <laughs> because he didn't have a lot of energy. So it's like that's true. I thought that was a funny quote. Like, huh? You don't, is, is he really stay. virtuous or just lack of energy? Yeah, listless. So, yeah. Well, I know it, he says in another part. It says. Uh, he's talking about Olive, who I liked her, of course, because she was a teacher. And one of my favorite stories was uh, he's talking about uh, his mom is, I mean, apparently the teachers back then in the one room schoolhouse, they did like everything, but there was a wall against learning because the, and I see that now in this book, I never thought about it, but they, the wall against learning was when the boys learned too much. They wanted them to know just enough to run the farm. But if they learned more in, about the world outside, then they left home. Then they were dissatisfied. Yes. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so I was like, oh, my goodness. And in that, he, do you remember the story about Martin Hopps? The, the guy that went into the army? And it's, yes. And he yes. said, so she was not really into the war at all. Olive wasn't this is John's mom and uh, then the shyest boy uh, and he was so shy that to say good morning to him was to make him itch with self-consciousness <laughs> and he was drafted and he went and he she just said the Germans killed him and that hurt her so bad she was just and so she goes to selling these liberty bonds like nobody's business and she wins an award 
because uh, she sold more Liberty bonds because she's wanting to get the Germans back for killing Martin Hopps. Mm-hmm. And they come and they give her a, a plane ride and she's trying to tell him to, to settle it down. And that guy thinks she's wanting to do loop de loop. And it was funny. Uh, and I said, I think that really happened. Yeah. I think it did. Well, like it said that the, the pilot was asking if, yeah. if she wanted to, to go on these loops, she thought something was wrong with the plane and she was trying to be encouraging because she, <laughs> she thought she, she had her will in order she had like bought yeah. new underwear because she was sure she was going to die in this plane. And yeah, so she was, she was just trying to be, give him confidence. Like, <laughs> yeah, you can do it. Yeah, you, you can, can do, do it. it. And he, just and he went like that. Uh, it was funny. So I'm hilarious. I bet that was, I bet you're right. I bet that was, a, that really happened. Well, it seems just hilarious to me that there's some parts in there that, you know, I thought that had to, that had to really happen. And going back on the Lee character, I think it's also interesting because he speaks, um, what do you call that? The broken Chinese English. Like, very, very good. Very, very good. Yeah. He he can speak English really good. He was actually born in America, but it... it, Went to to a university. Yes, but (laughs) the people don't accept him unless he's speaking the way they think he should speak. But Sam, so, but Samuel does. But Samuel, yeah, Samuel, who we already talked about, sees things as they are, picked up on that. So, but I thought his story was interesting because he went back to China and wasn't accepted in the Chinese culture and wasn't accepted in the American culture either. And so you really feel sorry for Lee, but he's a very hard worker. And it's interesting because one time he's talking with Samuel and uh, Samuel says, do you resent the question? Not from you. There are no ugly questions except those clothed in condescension. And then he says, I can't understand because he's a servant. And he says, I can't understand why more intelligent people don't take uh, it as a career. A good servant has absolute security not because of his master's kindness, but because of habit and indolence. And I'm thinking, whoa. I mean, so Lee's really smart. Mm, yes. And he, and he under, and they just instantly bond. Samuel and Lee have this bond. And so when he's with Samuel, he just drops his uh, chiny blandy is what they call it. Uh, like that's Chinese brandy. That's how you say that. So he, he quits that when he's talking to um, Samuel. He just talks regular talk. Mm-hmm. And I know that would be so like a breath of fresh air. Don't you? Yeah, that would be so hard to try to lower yourself just to be kind of recognized. Like, and But I, I mean, I still think we struggle as a society with that today on certain things. I mean, that's just your stereotypical. I mean, we... That's you automatically putting people into categories just from your past experience instead of like, like letting each new person just kind of who, who are they? And it's, you know, and I I think it's just something that naturally happens just because of our past experiences. I think our brain automatically kind of does that. Like, oh, it kind of sections off certain experiences and people that were, and that's how we get perceptions. And so I think it's just, it takes intentionality to overcome that. And somewhere in, I think it was uh, near the front of the book, he said the only drawback in freedom is that without it, one would not be human. 
But I think, uh, and then that's where he said one would be a monster. And I'm thinking if you get into the part where Kathy has, Kathy has the twins, which did, did they already have the twins where you're at? Yes. They had, okay. So therefore th- that is another cool part about Samuel. He, he waits a year and then he goes to Adam's house because Adam has not taken care of the kids at all. And Lee's done that, but they're, they don't have names. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, uh, it really bothers Samuel. And then I, and then it finally dawned on me. It bothers him because why he loves words. Mm-hmm. He loves books and he took the Bible and, but he punches him, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is hilarious. Cause he's, I picture him as a real um, calm, you know, he's not a violent man. No. Yeah. But he had to get him, you know, didn't they used to do that to people when they were like screaming or something, they would slap him. Yes. I think that was kind of what it was. Yeah, because he'd he'd have been in this depression for a year, and he needed to be snapped out of it. And he he ended up thanking Samuel for that. And, I mean, what a good friend. Sometimes you need a a friend with a courage word, and sometimes you need a friend to give you a a belt to the jaw, you know? Oh, I think we need those friends. Because, you know, on Facebook, everybody can say like, 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 but it takes a friend to say, okay, well, I... I really think that you're looking at this in a negative way, mm-hmm. you know, and I think Samuel was that friend, you know, yeah. and one time I think he said, uh, I should straighten out your tangled thoughts, show you that the impulse is gray as lead and rotten as a dead cow in wet weather. <laughs> Whoa. I mean, that's how uh, he writes. Yeah. And I won't, you know how I like similes, but I was like, whoa. And then one of my favorite quotes from him, this was awesome. And it's Samuel again. Sometimes the silence tells the most. Mm. It's very true. I mean, just like instantly he could tell Kathy didn't want to be a mom. She didn't want to be a wife. He could tell all that instantly. He could tell there was an evil lurking about to. He knew it was off. He knew that Adam didn't see it. He just perceived all of that. So I, I just feel like that he had a, that spirit of discernment. I mean, that that's a friend that you definitely want. I, I want Samuel as a friend. Oh, I would love, so. I mean, yeah, I think everybody needs a Samuel in their life mm-hmm. for sure. And one on uh, 270, I had this highlighted or circled. Dr. Leaf would say, are, did, are you circling? <laughs> yeah. It says, if a story is not about the hearer, he will not listen. And here, and I here make a rule, a great and lasting story is about everyone or it will not last. Mm. And I think that's why the Bible lasts Mm -hmm. because it's about everyone. Like the prodigal son, either, either you're the son that went away and came back or you're the son who stayed and then you begrudgingly worked. I mean, Mm -hmm. you're, you're going to fit in those stories that's in the Bible. That's true. So I'm like, like Ralph Waldo Emerson said, all I have seen teaches me to trust the creator for all I have not seen. Mm. So, and I think that's, that kind of explains Samuel. He was, he was, he knew a lot, but he was embracing what he didn't know. Yes. He was, uh, uh, I really, you know, when you go through literature and you find a character, he's one that I won't forget. Yes. Well, he's he's one I don't want to forget. You know. It's he has a lot of knowledge and he's seen a lot of bad things. But the cool thing about Samuel too is that he has a lot of hope. He's a dreamer, so 
he doesn't he doesn't let that he's not negative he doesn't let the the life experiences weigh him down his wife is more negative and kind of has that weight on her um yeah in one part it says he's not aging but she is because she's leaning backward and Mm -hmm. he's leaning forward so to speak yes which I like that. And as, uh, on the end of 270, it said the greatest terror a child can have is that he is not loved. And rejection is what he fears. And I said, see, this was written, when did you say? 1952 or something? 1952. Okay. Has that changed? No. That has not changed. And that's what makes it a classic. Yes. You know, all, all children just do want, they want desperately to be loved. And yes. I think all people. Yes. To be, where did I hear that? I heard that all people, um, or or anybody that you meet, they want to know that they look good. They want to be listened to and know that you care or to be loved. So, I mean, those are the basic of, of across the board for people. So, well, when God asked Solomon, what did he want? And we have versions and they usually say a discerning heart. But what the actual text says, a listening heart. That's what mm-hmm. that means. So he's going to, we're listening to God. Well, I really think Samuel had that listening heart. Mm-hmm. He did. And that they say it's really hard for, usually, what did we talk about? People want to uh, listen to respond, not listen to understand. For sure. And he listened to understand. But, I, I mean, that's the, whoo. So. Uh, amazing. Super Super, super good so far, but again, not a warm and fuzzy read. It's, but it's very intriguing and it, it, it will ca- catch your attention and keep you like, we're like, what's going to happen? Like, how is this going to work? And even before I made the connection, uh, or before you made the connection that, oh, this is a biblical allegory, uh, which is funny because the name should give it away, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't, I had no idea. I just well, went you, into you know, it. You, so. To your credit, though, sis, you've had some migraines, you know, <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. But, so. you know, I was telling you, this has been really hard because I lost a dear, dear friend and everything. So actually, this book was really a good one to be reading during this time because this book has sadness in it. And I've had sadness. So I thought, yeah, I mean, and I, obviously uh, Steinbeck had had a lot of si- sadness, so... So it's interesting that you said that because I, I just read that he, during the writing of this, I think he, he was going through a divorce and he had lost his best friend in the middle of writing. Are this. you serious? Yes. Oh my goodness. So, and it's interesting that you made that connection. And so I, I remember you, t- you told me that and I, I was like, that's, I think that's, there's a lot of power in literature that we don't realize, you know? Mm-hmm. So. Well, I mean, I was just, uh, because you, I don't, you can't really relate to something unless, you know, I knew he'd walked a hard path, but I didn't know that at mm-hmm. all. But I know that, um, that's why I think I'm ahead of you in the book because I've had the, the sadness and that the reading of this of course in the Bible too, but sometimes you want to at late at night, I don't really read the Bible well. You know, mm-hmm. but you can read fiction. And I said, man, it's just like he's gone through this. Mm-hmm. And apparently he had. So in a way, it's validating you. Yeah. And, and we need that. Yeah. Well, I, I think the 
it's one of those things where remember when Mark Twain said classics are books people talk about but don't read. <laughs> but <laughs> yes, I, I mean we're proving him wrong one classic at a time. Way to go, sis! But yeah, I, I really think they're they are classics for a reason, you know. And there's I mean and there's some funny he puts a little funny in there, but you really have to look for it because mm-hmm. or you'll just skip over it because uh, I mean I mean. Some of it you wouldn't, because I was going over some stuff I circled, and when we were talking about Lisa, his wife, it said her pelvic arch was like a whalebone. <laughs> well, I because apparently all of her nine kids were huge; mm-hmm. they were big kids. So I and I didn't catch that the first time, but I did circle it. But then I had to put the smiley face out there because I'm like, yeah, that's true. Gee. Yeah, nine yeah. kids. Yeah, I mean, lo- pioneer woman right there. Yeah, and just and then she's doing everything and just making it work, making mm-hmm. it, you know. And then some of the kids are like her, and some of them are like him. And I mean, I just thought it was, but they were living on love mainly. Mm-hmm. But his describe, you know, you said how do you like his um, wording? Well, one of them he used, um, I think it was George, tall, handsome, gentle, sweet, polite, pernicious anemia, and that's what you were talking about. His mm-hmm. lack of energy kept him out of trouble. But pernicious <laughs> anemia? I'm like, what? And then for Will, he said, dumpy, stolid. Little imagination, great energy. I mean, he just described each one of them. You thought, oh. Probably no. because he knows him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was yeah. going well. Yeah. Go- going. And uh, he had an Uncle Tom in there that was kind of, they said, the most like Samuel. And when he came to visit... He would always put a pack of gum under their pillow, which I thought that was sweet. That it was sweet. Well, I mean, because you wake up and you would find that. I mean, as a kid, that's just super sweet. And he even said beech nut gum. And I told you, I said, I, okay, that's got to be true. That's got to yeah. be something that, that has to be true. Yeah. Because who, cause who even knows about beech nut gum? <laughs> Seriously. Uh, and there was one quote about when he was talking about everything I think this was Samuel again, when everything started to be mass produced and all that, he said, uh, mass production gets into our thinking and eliminates all other thinking. Mm. I thought, yes. wow, you know, cause we want to do it fast and, you know, hurry can be the enemy of success. Yes. Very but true. Steinbeck said that, that that was on page 129 so you're not that far into the book reached a great boundary that was called 1900 mm-hmm. and then they lost simplicity and all that which i'm thinking we don't realize all the change that's happened a lot you're right that that was a big a big i mean the industrial revolution changed everything up until that point you know it not a lot had changed from century to century i mean there were some advancements um, with certain things, weaponry and stuff like that. But as far as like completely changing society, yeah, that didn't happen. This is just, uh, you know, and you get to see that through the eyes, you know, how, as it's coming down, like mass production. And, and then uh, later on, this won't spoil anything, but uh, Adam gets a car and, and they can't start it. They can't do any. They have to send a mechanic out because it's so complicated. And the mechanic's just like a young kid. And he said, "Did you read the manual? It's under the seat." Ugh. <laughs> and he, and he's like rolling his eyes and 
everything. And I'm thinking, wow. And we just get in and touch Press a, button. a button. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I just, just think it, it, if you want to kind of go back in time too, I think it, it's, um, it, his writing's different, but the story mm-hmm. is complex, very complex. The story's so. complex, but like, like there's so many one-liners in there. Like you've pulled out a few, but there's, there's a ton. He's, oh yeah. He's a, he's a great wordsmith or I, I would even go, it's more about these connections too. Like he brings out the, it's almost like how comedians are funny because they bring out reality. It's like that, but it's not funny. Yeah. So it's like, it's just, it's thought provoking. So. I mean, and he just, the way, uh, and he pops around for a while there, you're going, and I, I was like, are we, are we in Connecticut? Are we in California? Where are we going here? You know, and I think he did that on purpose to, mm-hmm. you know, it makes you want to read because yeah. when you withhold knowledge from your reader, they're curious and they're like, what in the Sam Hill is going on? <laughs> So, and, and this was one that it took me a while to start this one. And so, cause I think I'm a finisher and you're a starter and you started, you were way ahead of me. And so I'm, you helped me, you're, you kept saying things about it. And so you helped encourage me to get started. So thank you. Cause well, good. Then a, you can help me to finish it. Except I think, I, I mean, I'm curious enough. I was like Adam with the car. I needed someone to help me start it. <laughs> couldn't get it started well i'm just kidding i mean i i never even thought about that did you about those when the cars first came out that that would be complicated no apparently you had to push and pull and do all that kind of stuff and you know and can you imagine an older person doing that you know like his sons will probably catch right on but so next time when we take off we'll we'll be talking about caleb who goes by the name of cal which samuel says he ripped the backbone out of his name which I, you know, Samuel's so cool. And then, uh, and the other one's named Aaron. And he took a R out. So the first, yeah, the first part one and part is uh, kind of the Cain and Abel story through Adam and Charles and then his, him going to, and then I think his wife kind of became a Cain too, in a way, or something evil, either Cain or. No, she's Satan. Satan, it was was something evil. Yeah, Uh, I think, I think she's totally so in the second half, uh, three and four is going to be about the next generation. So it'll be, I, I'm, I'm excited to finish it. So. And it'll be riveting. I'm sure. Yeah. I haven't finished it either, but I had a lot to get off my chest. So I feel better, Whew, man. <laughs> Cause I just, uh, I wanted to get some of that out. Yeah. Man, it's just, a, it's heavy. Yeah. Heavy. It would be hard to cover in one, in just one podcast. So, I mean, did you, did you, what about what happened right after, right, well, who helped birth the twins? Samuel. And what did Kathy do to Samuel during the birth? She bit the crap out of his hand. Yeah. And, where it, it, and Lee doctored it because he said, oh, that could, it was like a wolf had bit him. Well, Lee doctored it and then his wife made him go to a doctor yeah. And he still, then he still had a fever and got sick for days because of it. So I so, thought that was interesting. And then what did she do to Adam? Do you not want to? Yeah. I well, just think, go ahead. I, I don't know. I'm just going to leave it there. 
Well, it's no worse spoilers. than biting. It's worse than biting, but yeah. it's, uh, you got to read it. Yeah, Re- you you do if you. This will be a great summertime read, and you do, then I think you would really love your family more. <laughs> it's just like, oh, my family's wonderful. It does wonderful. make you appreciate uh, calmness and peace and good relationships. That's for sure. And I think that you know you can glean that you, it, it's how how to be and how not to be. We can all strive mm-hmm. to be more like Samuel, and uh, then you see the ugliness, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. It has it all. It does. So anyway, we recommend it. If you haven't read it, you can uh, read it along with us. As if you are a fast reader, <laughs> you can catch up to us. But anyway, you'll uh, probably pass us. And I will say this for people. It has some rough parts because uh, Kathy's profession is not one you would want anyone to be in. She does have a profession that's uh, prostitution. She runs the place, I think Mm -hmm. Uh, she's. And so that's a is that somebody said that's the oldest profession, but I don't know for sure. There's no documentation on that, I don't think. But (laughs) that would uh, and that would be another reason why it was banned or, you know. Which he made, I think John made an interesting, uh, interesting observation when he said the churches and these prostitution houses came into the area at the same time. Oh, that's so right. That was Very, really interesting. Yeah. I, yes. Good point. Good point. I'm glad you brought that up because I, I didn't, I never thought of that. But, you know, and when I was reading that, it made me uncomfortable reading about that. And then I saw, I said, but this is truth. Mm-hmm. this is how it really happens. And mm-hmm. there, and there's people that for some reason they don't feel loved at home and they go somewhere else, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that could be a, you know, it's a lesson. Cause I kind of want to be like the ostrich and stick my head in the sand, you know, just say, I, I don't want to think about that, but it, that's a sad fact, but there it, it's, and when that when I heard that the churches and, and the houses of ill repute come at the same time, I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. But uh, when you think it, about it, it's true. Yeah, it's almost like a balancing act too. I think mm-hmm. you know, it's like the homeostasis or something. I'm not sure. Well, the but, good and the bad, you know, yeah. it, because we can't truly love a- unless it's by choice. Mm-hmm. Because I had a student ask me that. She, they, they were like, well, why, why, did the, why did that tree ever get put in the Garden of Eden anyway? Why, why, why put it there? And I said, well, because to have true love, there has to be choice. Mm-hmm. And, until you, it, it, and then if you have choice, then you can, have, you can go down a, a, a very dark path. I, I think that is something we need to, to teach more. And I actually had that conversation with my six and eight year old and we were talking about that. And uh, because what you see on TV is not love is a choice. It's love is a feeling, but I'm, I tell them love is a choice. Like you have to choose to love because there's going to be times when you don't want to. And I feel like a lot of relationships, they began on infatuation and not that there's anything wrong with that, but when that infatuation infatuation goes away, they think I'm not in love anymore. I need to go find someone else. But the, mm-hmm. the fact of the matter is that you were in your infatuation stage, and now you're in that's gone. So now it, it's it's a you know I think it's a choice then too. But now it's a harder choice. 
So, oh yes, that's true. That, there's even a name for that, and I can't remember what it is. But infatuation cannot last, but over like six months, mm-hmm. it can't last that long. And uh, that is a good point that you're. And I think you also told me you told them if it's if it's something hard, that's probably the right thing to do. You know, yes. something that you don't want to do, it's probably what you should do. <laughs> if it's like we talk about that, the hard thing is not going to be the easy thing to do. It's usually the hard thing is going to be expensive and hard and not convenient. And then, you know, this is the right thing to do. <laughs> yeah. There's some sweat equity in there. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So. But I mean, and I think this book will, would show you that because you, it, it, if, if it's easy, then it's not going to be worthwhile. No. Well, what and, Samuel uh, did as a friend was not easy. I mean, that oh, was no. it, it Are cost you kidding? Him money because he had to leave work. You know, and it cost mm-hmm. him time and he had to go down there and, but that really, Adam needed that, you know, that was the and, right thing to do. And he waited. And yeah, you, when you said time, that was a long time. Remember? Mm-hmm. I mean, he stayed there for a long time, but I, uh, I think Adam, he needed that so bad, badly because he, he didn't have that with his own father, yes. that relationship. Yes. So that was, um, God puts these people in your life when you need him and um, Adam needed a Samuel and bam, there he was, you mm-hmm. know, which is cool. Cause in the Bible, Samuel's a cool character and yes. in here he's a cool character too. So cool. Anyway, I think that's a wrap on part one and part two of East of Eden coming soon. will be part three and part four. <laughs> so. Keep the uh, pages turning and the book lights burning. See you on the Bye. next one. Mm-hmm.